0: Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. In a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. Keep an eye
1: on the staircases. They like to change.
2: Good afternoon, class. Welcome to your first flying lesson. Stick your right hand
0: over the broom and say up. Up! Wow. Mr. Longbottom. Mr. Longbottom. Mr. Longbottom. Exactly where do you think you're going? Do you really have the scar?
1: Mr. Potter, our new celebrity.
0: First years should note that the Dark
3: Forest is strictly forbidden. That no magic to be
0: used between the classes in the corridors.
2: Petrificus Totalus.
0: The third floor corridor is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to suffer a most
4: painful death.
0: Understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good.
2: I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed
0: or worse, expelled. She needs to sort out of her priorities. I think it is clear that we can expect great things from you. <laughs>
4: Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we ask ourselves the ever-important cinematic question, is it yours? And despite the fact that he recommended that I watch Top Gun, I'm having Dave Weeder back with us tonight to do a Harry Potter, or the beginning of a Harry Potter uh, review, because there's so many Harry Potter movies to review. And having spent some time with Dave, I happen to know that he is somewhat familiar with the biggest Harry Potter fan that we are familiar with. And I said, any chance that we could get Holly Weeder on to do this with us, even though she's never podcasted before. So welcome aboard, Holly.
1: Thanks for having me.
4: Well, thank you for coming on. And Dave, welcome aboard also. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be here too. <laughs> Top liver over here. <laughs> well, you did make me watch Top Gun.
3: Well, you had a choice.
4: I did. I did. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I've been wanting to do the Harry Potter movies. It's a little daunting because we're now up to eight. But like everything, you kind of got to start at the beginning. So starting at the beginning, why don't you guys tell me how you first became familiar with Harry Potter, whether it was through the (laughs) movies, the books or some other way?
3: Uh, I kind of got the ball rolling on this. I'm I'm the reason Holly is who she is now and uh, for good or for ill. I was very resistant to the books because I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to read a children's book. You can't make me. And people kept prosely- proselytizing. <laughs> Eventually, a girlfriend made me watch the first movie. I thought that was pretty good. Eventually, I, my friend of mine made me watch the second movie. I'm like That's pretty good. I'm not reading the books. Eventually, somebody got me the books for Christmas. I read them straight through. And this is when there were only five. I was in line for the sixth and seventh book. And that excitement apparently somehow transferred to Holly, who spent a whole weekend with me reading the seventh book.
1: Oh yeah, I was a Quidditch widow.
3: Yeah, basically, I, my the whole my whole thing was "Do not disturb me." This whole weekend is blocked out.
1: I remember that. Um, and I, we went to watch the movies. We watched number four. Yep, Goblet of Fire. And um, in the theater, I think maybe three. I don't remember. And we hadn't seen three. Three in had theater. already been out. So we definitely saw four, and he had read the books, but I hadn't read the books at that point. And he's sitting there watching me in the theater because he <laughs> knew what was going to happen. And. I realized at that point I had seen all the, the first three and then this was four and I was sick and tired of not knowing what was happening in the movie. So I was like, I'm going to read the books because I was never one of them. Their readers. So I figured <laughs> I'd give it a try.
4: Okay. So you both really got hooked in by the movie more than yeah. before, before you were even uh, somewhat taken by the books. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was our gate. The movies were our gateway drug. <laughs> see for me i first kind of became familiar with the fact that harry potter existed uh about the time when uh, goblet of fire came out and that was because i would see people on the train reading it and i still didn't have any interest didn't really know exactly what they were reading but i i saw that green cover uh it became very prevalent and then when the movie, when, when Harry Potter and the uh, Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, if you go with the uh, English version, mm-hmm. when that movie was about to be released, somebody I work with started telling me, no, no, you, you, know, you got to give these things a chance. I basically had the same attitude you did, Dave, where I thought this was a children's story and I wasn't interested. And this was somebody who was older than me. And he had the, uh, the book on tape, literally on tape. It was on cassette at that time. And he said, "Here, just just take you know take the first book, which I think was on six cassettes, and I st- I listened to it, and I thought, you know that was pretty good." and then I watched the movie, and then I ended up doing the same thing for the second one. He lent me the second one, and i I listened to it and I watched it, and at that point that's where I got totally hooked because then I started the process that I did through books three, four, five, six, and seven, which was read the book." then listen to the book on audio, and then see the movie.
1: By Stephen Fry, right?
3: <laughs> no, I did
4: the uh, Jim Dale. Ah. <laughs> now, I, I nev- I've never heard the Stephen Fry version. I've heard that's very good as well, but Jim Dale was also excellent.
3: I saw Holly's nerd radar go off as you were talking about the book on tape. <laughs> now, did, did you listen to both, or did you listen to just the uh, Stephen Fry version?
1: Actually, I have not listened to them. I've only read them and watched the movies.
4: Okay, now the the, again, I can't speak to the Stephen Fry, which I've heard is very good, but I, I have never heard it. Uh, the Jim Dale one, it's one of the, I, I, for a while I got it kind of hooked on audiobooks in general. And uh, I found that his version was one of the better, better read books, and through it's consistent through all seven of them, mm. uh, in that he would do different voices for different characters, but not sound like a caricature when he was doing it. You know, he would just slightly alter his voice and you would know whose voice he was doing. Right. And then, he, you know, he had that charming British accent, so that always <laughs> adds to it. And and I, I found that that was a good process because if I did it in any other order, I don't know if I would want to go back. But if I read it, then
3: listened to it, then watched it, that was the perfect mix for me. So. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good immersion, too. You've got it three different ways.
4: Yeah, and each one had something different to add. So now... Neither of you saw uh, Sorcerer's Stone in the theater, I take it?
3: Uh, first run, no, but recently we were able to go to an event where they did play all eight movies across three days. So we were able to get the theatrical experience secondhand.
4: Okay, so now I'm going I'm to ask you that then. Seeing it in the theatrical experience, did you find it altered the experience for you from having seen it however many hundred times you saw it before then?
3: <laughs>
1: I, I did, personally. Did you? No. Oh. What was different for Scale. You?
3: When they're going across the lake to mm. Hogwarts, um, things like that just caught my eye.
1: That's true. The epicness of, you know, seeing the castle for the first time on a big screen. Um, of course, we were at a whole Harry Potter festival. I mean, everybody was there to watch the movies. So it was kind of geek central. <laughs> and it, you could just feel the excitement, you know, the. The first Hedwig's theme starts playing, and everybody mm-hmm. starts clapping, and it just yeah.
3: <laughs> that guy that kept starting all those slow claps. That was you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about the film now. Um, now the first thing I could
4: tell you, because when I did see the first one, I also did not see it in the big screen. I ended up seeing it when it came out on video, uh, and the first experience I had was that the video, the DVD that they came out with, was very annoying. If you recall, it had all sorts of like secret extras on it. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't know where they were, you probably weren't going to find them. And I, I, as much as I did come to enjoy everything, I did not enjoy that. I didn't enjoy having to search out things. Just give me my extras.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's a little different because it was one of the first ones where they had a bunch of extras. And you're right. You did have to search them out like... Here, let's go to Diagon Alley. Wait, you got to hit the bricks first, and then you got to get a key, and then you got to go to a (laughs) greenhouse. Just just give me the
3: extras. Yeah,
4: I I don't want my extras to be a video game.
1: Yes,
4: (laughs) there could be an extra that is a video game, Uh but I don't want it to be a video game to see the extras. So, uh, right off the bat, uh, I feel like they really did find actors who embodied the roles, who kind of you know who, who were very similar to what I visualized in my mind, because I did manage to at least. Have a version of this before. I never, I never saw a movie without having read the book in this series. So, I have that, which I guess is gives me one step up on you guys.
3: Yes, yeah, because I retroactively <laughs> place Daniel Radcliffe in Harry. Uh, that's what I visualize: Rupert Grant and, of course, uh, Emma Watson. Yeah, and those three. The only thing I
4: would say is, from reading the book, I kind of pictured Hermione as not quite as pretty as Emma Watson.
1: Well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
4: You know that that would be the only thing, and even when they had her, I think she's got a cartoon version on the cover of. Uh, I'm trying to remember one of one of the books. I think had a kind of a cartoony version of her, and they drew her with like very very curly hair, almost looking like, like the girl with the naturally naturally
3: curly hair in Peanuts. Hmm. Well, even J.K. Rowling had that reservation. That M is just too pretty, and I think the rest of us benefit from that. To be honest with you, because <laughs> M is really pretty. Yes.
1: Yeah. And they did try the fake teeth, but they just couldn't. No, she couldn't, <laughs> couldn't talk with them.
3: And that, you know, just you think about those young actors and the hours you have to put into making a movie, and you gotta stand, you gotta, you know, at least applaud that.
1: Well, they yeah. did a, a really good job picking really grounded and wonderful British actors mm-hmm. to start with, and then we'll let them carry the movie, and then we've got these three main newbies, and then we can kind of train them up. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And they did. So All of them turned out to be great actors by the end of that series.
4: Yeah. And from everything I've heard, none of them have had any problems that seem to be so prevalent with child actors as they grow up. Mm-hmm. Right. Not really. I, I, I have not heard any stories of any drug addictions, any you know, arrests or any you know Nothing untoward that I've heard, at least.
1: Right. Well, I mean, Daniel Radcliffe was like, you know, towards the end, I was coming to set a little drunk, but I realized that I was having a problem. And so he quit. Um, and then uh, there was one other actor, Crab. He got, Yeah, he, he well, got a DUI. And so they stopped having in the movies. But, you know, I think that kind of taught him <laughs> just because you're kind of a lead. You don't really have to be here. We can replace you.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So moving down, I'm looking right now at the Wikipedia page, and uh, next, first on the list after the, the top three is John Cleese, mm. and the worst thing about John Cleese being cast in the role isn't that he didn't fit the part. Was it headless Nick? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> nearly headless Nick. Uh, nearly, nearly headless. Sir headless Nicholas. Nick. Sir Nicholas. <laughs> yes. Uh, the only problem with having an actor of of his ilk in the role is you see him come on screen, and you say, "Oh yeah, that's John Cleese." It's it's a little harder to immerse yourself in with an actor like that, but I still think he kind of played the part the way I pictured it. Right. He, did, he didn't quite look the way I had in my mind, but he certainly played it the way I had it in my mind. The ne- next guy on the list is Robbie Coltrane, who I think is just a phenomenal piece of casting right there.
3: Yeah, he's and, the perfect Hagrid. And not even recognizable in that role.
4: <clears throat> yes. But but as, you know, with the makeup and everything, he's exactly the way I pictured Hagrid in the book. Mm-hmm. And then we have and we'll, we'll talk about the recasting of this down the road. But uh, Richard Harris, I thought, was a phenomenal Dumbledore.
3: Yeah. And he was the one, even after everything, I pictured when I was reading the books. His voice, his demeanor. Yes. And, just, and he was just naturally good. And it was because his grandkids wanted him to take the role. It's the only reason he was in that movie. <laughs> he didn't need the money. No, no. And, and at that point, I think he was, I think he took the part
4: knowing he was ill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then he might not make it, so it was clearly for his grandchildren. You know that it was it wasn't certain, you know wasn't that he thought oh I'm going to be around forever and this is going to be my legacy or anything like that. I think it was purely that's what he said it was for, and I think that's exactly correct. The the other one who I think totally embodied the role that he was cast as and uh, just totally took over in my mind exactly what he what he was was Alan Rickman. Oh Snape.
3: yeah. Somehow he managed to make Hans Gruber a memory, because I don't think <laughs> that's not the first thing I think of anymore. I think of Snape. And, and the interesting thing is, I would, as I read it, Snape
4: was probably 20 years younger than Alan Rickman was, and yet he mm-hmm. still managed to play the
1: part perfectly.
3: He was younger. I believe Snape was bald with a beard. That's no. what I've seen in the
1: drawings. He's not bald. I mean, because he has the greasy hair. Oh, OK. But he did have a little beard a in little, the books. Yeah.
4: And you know I mean we have uh, you know quite a, quite a guest cast here but is there anybody else who particularly sticks out to you I guess Tom Felton uh, was really solid as Malfoy and to, to probably to his detriment because you know people probably hiss him and hate him now <laughs>
1: just
3: because Well he was yeah he was, at, yeah, he was so making well. an appearance at Universal and it came up to a case like I, don't be afraid of me I'm nice
1: Draco's not I'm nice <laughs> <laughs> And of course Maggie Smith Oh yeah I mean She's the perfect McGonagall. And she even threw a little bit of that Scottish accent in there. She was mm-hmm. like, she's Scottish. I'm going to play it Scottish. So <laughs> it worked. And and then this, you know, I think this is
4: the most recent great score by John Williams. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's, you know, even, even you know, it is Star Wars revisitations. I don't think he's quite reached this level again.
3: No, you that. have Superman, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and I think it skips... All the way to Harry Potter. The only one, maybe on a par with
4: Harry Potter, but I don't think quite. I think it would be just below it. Would probably be Jurassic Park.
1: Oh yeah, oh that was so good. Notice what's not on there: Star Trek. I'm sorry, honey. He didn't score Star Trek. I Holly. know. Are you trolling me? Yes.
4: I thought Michael Giacchino did very good, though. It, yeah, and... but it was great. So, so we can we, we can
3: move on from that. One. <laughs> Uh, to, to give a little background, Holly has a Harry Potter always tattoo on her, uh, your left shoulder. Mm-hmm. I have the Star Trek Delta Shield on mine. <laughs> this, this is a rivalry of fandoms. Left shoulder, you, you probably should have either done, you know, one of you should have done left, one of you should have done right. So this
4: way, when you're together, you can kind of have them compete.
3: <laughs> Didn't have that option. She'd already gotten hers, and I, I wanted the Delta Shield in the proper location. Oh, <laughs> Maybe you should have had it done on, on, your, uh, <laughs> on your chest. Darn. Hindsight's <laughs> <laughs> 2020. And it's probably lucky for you that it is.
4: <laughs> so uh, now, now we're going to get to I, I, I hate to call it a weakness in the movie because I don't believe it is, uh, but where it just kind of a little bit for me falls short. And to some extent, that's Christopher Columbus's directing. Because as much as I do really enjoy this movie, and this is a movie I'm I'm, I'm not going to jump the gun on my uh, on my final rating for it here, but this is a movie I can watch over and over again. It's mm-hmm. right practically in a loop on the ABC Family Channel, <laughs>
1: yeah. and,
4: and and I can't tell you how many times I stop and I just watch it, and and that's true for all of the seven main Harry Potter movies. Um, but I feel like there was some element in the first two movies and. We'll leave the second movie for a while, but uh, there's some element, almost of a lack of imagination and a lack of wonder in the directing style that I felt should have come very, very naturally to it. And I don't know if you two experienced that at all, but I just, I just felt like when I read the book, there was this sense of entering this whole world. And when I first saw the movie, that world didn't feel as open to me as it did when I read the book. And that could be just a natural, you know, natural ad- adaptation from book to, to movie that, you, you know, you're dealing with your imagination as to as to now some things that are concrete in the screen in front of you. But I just felt like a different it, it might have benefited from a different director who would have just given it a little just a tiny bit more of a sense of awe than what I had.
3: I'm I'm sitting here wanting to disagree, but I don't entirely. He kind of leaned into special effects and the sets and I think you're when I think about it, yeah, it still feels wondrous, but could it have felt more wondrous? Then you have subsequent directors who took it and expanded mm-hmm. everything? It's hard for me to
1: really dispute that, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I think they definitely got a good base going, but you're right. It wasn't like the full spectrum, the full all-encompassing world. It was just like, ok, you know that there's some magic, but we're not really showing it off as much. We're more focused on, Getting everything started. It was definitely a beginner movie.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think there was some of that. Exactly what you're saying there. There was, there was some of come come and see this world, and, but also like I, I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say this right. But when I watched it, I felt more like I was watching their world than I was personally being immersed in their
1: world. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That makes sense. Although I think I maybe it's just for me, but the whole um, Diagon Alley part seemed more. Successful and more encompassing and you know you watch it on screen and it's like oh wow look at all that and then they get to Hogwarts and it was like okay you, not yeah. quite there <laughs> I felt like they put more into Diagon Alley than they did a, the Hogwarts castle
3: you had more of a transition right I can see that
4: and, and I'm, I'm not sure if some of that was the cinematography as well now, and, and I don't mean to put the movie down because I, no, no, I, not, I not. still think this is a wonderful movie and, and I, I really don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm criticizing it I just I, I, it, it's probably that gap between being and I don't want to give away too much but it's almost that gap between being a top of the line Jaws 2 ranking and a <laughs> Jaws ranking and I think that may be the difference that I feel there so I'm giving away a little bit too much early on. But <laughs> hey. so, but, you know. and, and when we talk about cinematography, a lot of times in my mind, I put that together with the directing. Because I kind of feel the cinematographer is under the director taking his vision and, and you know getting, it, getting the camera to show it. So if it's not coming up the way the director wants, he either needs to get a new cinematographer or he needs to give the guy more direction. Right. What do you think specifically of Daniel Radcliffe in the role of Harry? Right.
1: Um, I mean, definitely shaky to start out with because he really hadn't done very much. But he did get better, um, <laughs> throughout even the movie, I think. And then, um, of course, he didn't have the bright green eyes, but that was because he was allergic to the contacts. So you know, you can't really do anything about that except for go back with CG later. <laughs> um, and that get the lot. scar
4: in a different spot.
1: Every time, every scene, they couldn't decide where they wanted to put that. But uh, I thought he did good. I mean, he definitely, everything else was right. I mean, you know, his size and the rest of the look of him. And he has this quality about him, like. He's cute. He's adorable. Yeah. He's likable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and
4: you do feel some of his sense of awe and wonder. Yes. As, he, as he's learning where he, where he stands in the world. And where he's seeing this, you know, when the letters are coming in, the, his smile as all those letters are being <laughs> attacking the uh, cabin they're in, uh, that's infectious and you you fe- it feels very, very genuine. I do, you know, I, I would be curious to see what sequence they film this in, because I think you hit on something there that I agree with, Holly, in that he became a stronger actor as they were making these movies. Right. And I would imagine he became a stronger, stronger actor as this one movie was being done. Mm-hmm. That if, well, you, you I, know, if, you, if you could easily pinpoint which was the first scene they filmed to which was the last scene they filmed, ooh. I do think you'd see a difference in the. She acting. can. <laughs> okay, so why don't, you, why don't you enlighten me then?
1: Uh, the very first scene is actually the very last scene when they're getting on to the Hogwarts Express to leave. And Harry says, I'm not going home. He actually has green contacts in in that scene, and Emma Watson has fake teeth in in that scene, and then um, that was the first scene that they filmed. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: And his eyes are all red, <laughs> which made it look like he was, you know, sad to kind of be leaving, but really it's just because he was allergic to the contacts. <laughs> that, was, that
4: wasn't that wasn't that uh, wasn't
1: immersing himself in the role, huh? That helped. <laughs> yeah. But that's the very first scene. I can't remember off the top of my head what the last scene
3: is. But but I think about that scene, that last scene. It's very wooden. I'm not going home. Not really. Very reading. He's reading the script. Yeah.
4: Mm, That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. For you know, which was which was which. But now that you say it, that does make sense. Mm -hmm. And but and I do think over the course of making these movies, his acting kind of stepped up as it went along.
1: And he's more successful than the other two, I think, because Emma was still, (laughs) she she was still reading, well, she memorized everybody's lines Mm -hmm. instead of just hers. (laughs) So she was mouthing along in some of the other scenes, (laughs) the other (laughs) actors' lines.
4: She had a way of being a little bit wooden in the way she gave her lines. Oh, yeah. But I didn't think it hurt her performance quite as much because I thought her character was kind of supposed to be stiff. Agreed. And And not as approachable and not as friendly. And that's why she kind of ended up with them, because she didn't have other friends.
1: Right. I mean, she very much was her character, as and she was a big nerd. <laughs> that's why she studied everybody's lines, is because she couldn't help herself. <laughs> it's just like Hermione.
4: <laughs> and, and I remember from the start, when this movie first came out, that <clears throat> Rupert Grint was getting the highest marks for his acting of the three. And saying, you know, how, how he hit... You know, Ron Weasley, you know, on the nose that he was exactly what, you know, it should have been and that his acting was the the best. And they predicted then that he was going to go on to the biggest things in his <laughs> <Whoops>. career. <laughs> well, and that, I have no idea it, what, what he's done since the last Harry Potter movie.
3: He's doing uh, uh, some sort of adaptation of Snatch, yeah. the Guy Ritchie movie. Mm-hmm. And oddly is he, enough, Emma's the one that's that's the more, at least visibly, more most successful
4: <laughs> right. I I, I think uh, Daniel Radcliffe, I know he was on Broadway for a
1: while. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's really good on that. I mean, from what people say.
4: I know he did Equus. <clears throat> and I think he also did How to Succeed in Business. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what he's doing now. But I, th- I think, all, you know, I think, as you say, all, all three of them have grown somewhat, but probably Emma grew the least during the course of this series. Uh, certainly in the course of this one film she is probably the stiffest of the three but again I think that kind of fit her character more anyway.
1: Yeah.
3: It took her a while to move, remove that stiffness. I'd say 3 or 4 is right where she started to unthaw. Right. <laughs> right when the character did in the book as well. Right, exactly. So,
4: do you do you know the uh the money money figures on this movie?
1: I have no idea.
3: <laughs> All the monies from <laughs> 2001.
4: <laughs> well, for uh The budget for this movie was $125 million, according to Wikipedia. And that feels about right to me.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they Uh, had to build everything from the ground up. This is, you know, fresh start, fresh sets. I know they spent a lot of money on the sets, which turned out to be a great idea. Because they lasted, especially the Great Hall, they Mm -hmm. used the same Great Hall for the entire production of all the movies and um the common room mm-hmm. and the uh gryffindor uh suite uh, where they sleep oh the bedroom <laughs> bedrooms which is funny because as they get older the beds you know stay the same so they keep getting stretched more <laughs> because they're growing taller mm. <laughs> but yeah they just they built such a great base as far as that goes They didn't have to rebuild the sets. So that actually worked out for them. (laughs) Spend more up front. Well, Warner Brothers, I
4: I agree. If you're going to do a series, and they knew they were doing a series, too. Mm -hmm. So it's only smart to make sets that you know you're going to carry through. And you can invest a little bit more in them because you know you're going to amortize it over the different movies as well.
1: They
3: had at least two that they were doing. They knew that. Oh, they knew they had a cash cow. They knew they had that because they offered it originally to Spielberg at one point. Yeah and Spielberg considered it he's like no it's not a challenge that yeah. one's going to make money i i would love to have seen cuz we talked about the directing a little bit i would love to see what this would have been under under spielbergs That would
1: have been good
3: it would, but it would have i think it, if he hadn't come back for any of the sequels it would have ruined them you, it's hard i mean you go from You're spielberg to, to somebody screen. else yeah exactly <laughs> and then you know as we go on and we'll talk about this in later
4: episodes but as we go on after number 2 the director de- the directorial style does change oh yeah when we get to when we when we get there, uh, now the current formula that I always hear is two and a half times your budget is a hit, mm-hmm. because when you factor in the theater revenue and the uh, you know the advertising budget, which for some reason is not considered part of the main budget, uh, that's the number. But I think that is different from 2001 when this came out, because I think back then that just two times your budget was considered to be a huge hit. Uh, this, so this might have been the movie that changed that perception. Possibly. This had a, had a budget of $125 million, as I said. Domestically, it made $317 million, according to <laughs> Box Office Mojo. And in foreign box office, which I'm guessing was mostly in Europe, but uh, I don't know that for a fact, uh, it had $657 million for a worldwide budget of close to a billion dollars, $974 million dollars.
1: I mean, it has a huge Asian following too. Yeah. So,
3: well, this this whole franchise yeah. became Warner Brothers' bread and butter for the the what ten or eleven years that it, the movies were progressing. Mm-hmm. That went, so that's why you see you know they're trying to, as hard as they can to retain that with Fantastic Beasts. Yes, and I
4: you know I still haven't seen Fantastic Beasts, so sometime between now and when we review that, I'll have to see it.
3: It's that recommended. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, I think that's, I, well, you and I had discussed that quite a while ago, and you had said it was, you know, it was, we, we didn't go any further in depth other than to say it was a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'll take it from there. I do plan to see it. I, I had a, I had a whole weekend planned with the kids. We were going to go see it and everything, and it fell through, and now it's just been on hold for a while. So, but we will. It, it will get seen at some point, hopefully, not in the not-too-distant future. But back to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's <laughs> Stone, as you will. Uh, what do you think of this as a standalone story? Because we talked about it being the entrance into the series. But what if this was, you know, if, if you saw this not knowing what else is going to come or if anything else is going to come? if Are you able to look at it from that perspective?
3: It's It's a fairly self-contained story, which everything past the second one, well, even the second one really isn't.
1: No. Yeah. The second one's not. Yeah. Um, I could watch this movie by itself and appreciate it as a story in its own and think that it's completed, but I'd yeah. want
4: more. Well, let's, and you know, I've talked in the past how I'm a mark for sequels. Uh, <laughs> if, if I like characters and I like a story, I want more okay. and I'm willing to accept more even at a slightly lower quality because generally, usually sequels are a lower quality. Uh, just because I want to see those characters some more, and I'm willing to put up with things for that. Uh, I would say, yeah, I would say I, I, that on its own, this would be fine, and it would st- it would stand on its own merit. But I would be saying, I really want more. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't feel like the story is quite complete, because I know that there's years in Hogwarts, and, and, and they don't really give you a lot to know, you know, wh- whether... The threat is going to, you know, to what extent the threat is going to continue. But they do give you that feeling that there's a lot more that we haven't heard about yet.
3: Well, I would argue that Harry Potter changed the way franchises are made. I mean, Star Wars did this as well. But Harry Potter's the first one to really start out considering itself a franchise. Star Wars. Hey, this, you know, George Lucas was happy. He made a great one. Then let's make a second one. Natural progression. With Harry Potter, they knew how many books they had. They knew what was going to go uh, from there. So they actually built it as a franchise rather than a single movie. Because the yeah, sequel was already
1: in, pro, in, pro, in progress when the movie came out. Well, they were filming the sequel at the same time as they the first, yeah. filmed the first one. They filmed them back to back and some overlapping.
3: And that was at the same time you had Lord of the Rings as well. So the, these two changed the way things happen. Now that's how you get the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic, where we're building a franchise, not just a movie.
4: Yeah, and I, I think we've seen several attempts to build a franchise that have failed. Lord of the Rings did it, it's almost like Harry Potter did it for a younger perspective. I don't know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say a younger audience, a younger perspective, because I think, you know, people in our age group, and I know I'm a lot older than you guys, you don't have to rub it in, but, uh, <laughs> you know, pe- adults can watch Harry Potter and enjoy it just as much as children. It's not only a ch- children's movie. Agreed. But I do think Lord of the Rings is made for a more adult perspective. I mm-hmm. think young, younger children can't enjoy Lord of the Rings the way they can Harry Potter.
3: Mm-mm. Just imagine trying to sit through that as a kid.
4: <laughs> I probably would have loved it, but I'm I'm different that way. Uh, but, you know, I, I can see where both of them did it and did it successfully. But there were a lot of aborted efforts to do similar things, uh, you know, from... Uh, I'm trying to think. the The Narnia books mm-hmm. didn't seem to really catch on to, to any great acclaim. There was uh, Artemis Fowl, uh, Lightning Lord per- was it? Percy
3: Jackson. Yeah, I was just Percy thinking. Jackson. So, I mean, there were all these
4: attempts to see if they could catch—no pun intended—lightning in a bottle in a similar way. That none of none of which have caught on at this point. But you know, I guess they'll keep trying. Yeah. But did, but these were also a book phenomena that.
3: Oh, yeah. Huge book phenomenon.
4: Like I said, I remember being on the train and seeing all these green covers as everybody was reading Goblet of Fire. (laughs) And and it wasn't a lot of youngsters. It wasn't, you know, the young adult crowd. It was people in their 20s, 30s, 40s.
1: I think that's when I first discovered, I mean, I kind of got a little glimpse of what it was. I actually worked at Best Buy whenever uh, Order of the Phoenix came out. And I remember a bunch of people coming through my line because Best Buy sold books at the time, mm-hmm. and they would be buying this book like, "I can't believe you have this here." I had no idea because, again, I wasn't one of them. Their readers, <laughs> I had no. <laughs> idea. I'm like, I just keep seeing this book go across my counter. But even at Best Buy, I mean, we sold hundreds of them. <laughs> I can't imagine what it was like at actual bookstores or like Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was this.
3: That was the secret. Barnes and Noble usually had their midnight madness. Mm-hmm secret is, if you have a book like this, go there, enjoy it. Go down the road to Walmart. Normally, they don't have a line. You can be in and out. (laughs) Literally, with the seventh book, my friend was still in line, and I'm sitting at Steak and Shake reading my book, reading my copy. (laughs) Well,
4: that was, you know, what I discovered, because I guess the fourth one was out. Like I said, I remember seeing people reading it. And in between the fourth book and the fifth book is when I got hooked. So when the fifth book was coming out, by the time it was coming out, I had already read the first four And I was looking, you know, really looking forward to it. And what I discovered with Order of the Phoenix was I could pre-order it on Amazon. And it would arrive at my doorstep the day Mm -hmm. that it was released. And I wouldn't have to wait online. I might have to wait a couple more hours because I didn't get the midnight thing. But by the time I came home from work that afternoon, it was sitting there waiting for me to open and read. And I did that with five, six, and seven.
1: I tried that with the Cursed Child and got it, like, three days later. Yeah, some okay. <laughs> Amazon
4: botched that
3: one. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I
4: guess your mileage <laughs> may vary. That's okay.
3: Generally, they're on top of it. and That's the method I'd recommend, but this time, not so much. Now, what what did you think of not only the opening
4: of this world, but what did you think of the threat that we experienced in it?
1: Um in the movie um i'm sorry i'm trying to figure out how to word this
4: <laughs> oh,
1: take your time um i mean i i didn't like that it was like look at snape he's so evil and it you definitely felt like he he was the bad guy because you're looking at it from harry and ron and hermione's point of view so mm-hmm. it looked like he was the bad guy and then so it was a nice surprise you know whenever it turned out to be spoilers professor coral <laughs> And um, with the weird Voldemort head on the on his head, on the,
4: on the back of his head. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, I have to say the the book does read the same way.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. As you as you're reading it, you
4: don't know if Snape is working for them or against them, and you don't realize that Quirrell is the bad guy until it's finally revealed. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember if there were any real clues that you know, if you look back, you could say, oh yeah, they did kind of. Let us know.
3: The turban showing up on Quirrell was the only thing, that, and it wasn't in the movie, but in the book, it sh- that was the only indicator.
1: Right, right. I mean, they did, I mean, obviously, movie got a few things wrong, but you don't know that unless you've read the book first.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But <laughs> I, I seem to remember that it
4: was more, if there were clues, it was clues that Snape was trying to help Harry, not clues that Quirrell was bad. If that
1: makes mm. sense. In the book or the movie? <laughs> in the book. Yeah. Oh yeah. Much more in the book. It, you know, in the movie it was like, it was Snape, he's bad.
3: <laughs> and it's it's not until afterward that you get the revelation. Right. I think the book captured
4: a little bit more, you know, I talked about having that awe and the you know, the world. Mm-hmm. When when you went into the forest and the whole thing with the unicorns and the centa- centaurs and that kind of thing. I think that's where the book kind of took it to a level that the movie wasn't able to. And oh, yeah. I mean, some of that may have to do with what they were able to do CGI-wise at that mm-hmm. point as compared to now. I think they might have been able to do it a little bit better if
3: they were doing it now. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <clears throat> well, the special effects just progressed with those movies so exponentially. Right.
1: And they, they they're, they're, Some of them
3: hold up, some of them don't. <laughs> <laughs> the Cave Troll doesn't hold up as much as I'd like.
1: See, I'm not yeah. bad with the cave troll. I'm uh, it's the centaur's. The know, centaur's look terrible. Look yeah.
3: It's terrible. <laughs> and i really what? noticed it when we were watching it on the big screen. Like that looks a little goony.
4: Yeah, it it, it almost has that Harryhausen claymation feel. <laughs> Which I mean, I I I I'm loath to say anything against Harryhausen, but I mean, he did work with claymation. Uh, this is CGI, so it should be a little smoother.
1: Right. What else? And
4: it was. It was. A l- I think they hid some of the weaknesses in the CGI by making those scenes a l- maybe a little darker than they had to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Sorting Hat doesn't um, hold up either because it's again, like you said, it's more bright. <laughs> Specifically, Ron and Harry's face is underneath the Sorting yeah, Hat. Okay, I don't I could, know, yeah. Okay. not So it's just off. But again,
3: it it's just, when they mix the. It's two. what they
1: could do at the time.
3: Yeah, and it was really impressive for the mm-hmm. time. If you look at movies that are contemporary with it. The only other one I think of that had comparable special effects would be AI and thats a, that's a Spielberg movie so
4: <laughs> right
3: well I, I have to say while I
4: can sit here and criticize the special effects or the directing or whatever, uh, a lot of that is due to the fact that we're sitting here critiquing the movie and, and mm-hmm. tearing it apart a little bit when it's on the family Channel and I you know when I start nesting on that channel and I'm watching it, none of this stuff bothers me Right agreed. It's not that I'm sitting here saying, oh, this is a horrible movie because of these things. It's just, you know, picking it apart and saying, you know, what works and what doesn't work, what made it really good and what, you know, could have been a little better.
1: You know what's still really good are the creature effects, like all the goblins in the Gringotts yeah. Bank. They still look amazing. They they look photorealistic.
3: And then when you're going to the Gringotts at Universal Studios Florida, they look like the goblins from the movie. So they yes, did they did much. enough that they could translate to the real world. It's a little disconcerting
4: I, I do I do like at Universal Studios the whole Diagon Alley experience mm-hmm. and and that that is really a part of the park where it's once you walk into it it's very immersive right. yeah you, you do feel like you're in the Harry Potter world at that point and they did a great job of putting that together
1: and again all came from this movie I yeah. mean that's where they like I like I said I feel like they focused more on that and getting that right because that's like Harry's first introduction to the world really i mean it has to be just a wow look at this and then then they went to hogwarts and it was like okay now he's here well Alley (laughs) is going to be your
3: buy-in moment you're either going to buy into the whole magic thing there or you're not but i think they made it work and they made it work Uh, they got my buy-in and i was very skeptical
1: probably part of my
3: favorite my favorite part in the movie and you get that same feeling, and it, and it translates perfectly to the theme park. Yeah. So somehow, the you know, it falls back to the set designs. I think right. they designed yeah. it so well that Columbus just had the actors go in there and do what they had to do.
4: Yeah, I would agree. So before we start, before we get down to ranking this or rating it, any other aspects of it that you think are worth mentioning at this point?
1: Uh, um, well, I mean, obviously, I'm coming at it from. Kind of the back end, you know. I saw I saw the movie, and now I read the books, and now it's years later, and I know what they left out. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they had not left out some of the things that they did, but and and I do watch the extended versions probably more than I do the regular version on just TV. But mm-hmm. if I just go back and watch the first theatrical release without any special, you know, extras, and try to forget. My book knowledge, I still really like it. <laughs> I still well, really enjoy it.
4: And I, I, you know, I read this and I've seen it, and I read, I, I've actually listened to this more than once, and I've seen it many times. But off the top of my head, I'm trying to picture what they left out, and maybe you can kind of help me with that. What, what did they leave out that you look at and you say, "Boy, I really wish this had been in the movie."
1: For me, yeah. um. Specifically, I really wish they had more with the twins and how they were really kind of the first contact with Harry and helped him get onto the Hogwarts Express and then he got onto you know then he got into the uh, what do you call it the seat with Ron mm-hmm. um, and then went off to school and then Peeves of course I was going to mention Peeves <laughs> I want him. Yeah. He's the poltergeist because he's entertain- a little bit more of that entertaining whimsy. And then at the end, whenever they're going to get the stone, I wish they had had all of the tasks. Mm. I mean, I understand they couldn't. There was you know, Snape's
3: potions task. There was there.
1: Snape's potions task, mm-hmm. which was great. Because they even said he's one of the Hogwarts mm-hmm. um, professors trying to protect the stone. Well, so was Quirrel, Yeah. And there was a troll there laying down. And then, you know, just kind of led a little bit more into well, maybe Snape is still bad. Maybe he, you know, because if this guy was bad, it just put that, maybe I'm not crazy. <laughs> maybe he really is still bad, even though he's a Hogwarts professor. Because this guy is also a Hogwarts professor, and he was bad. Mm-hmm. To me. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I think
4: the book... No, nah, you know I can't. I, can't, I, I'm, I was going to make a point that I'm not sure of. I'm just trying to sort it out in my mind as to which, whether it was the book or the movie, that left more mystery as to whether or not Snape was good or bad. The and book... ultimately, when you come down to it, and I don't want to give away too much because we got a lot of movies to cover here, but ultimately, when you come down to it, it's it's a little bit more gray than that. Right. Oh yeah. He he wasn't pure good or pure bad. Not at all. But that's more in his motivation. Certainly his actions were to benefit Harry,
1: mm-hmm. whether
4: his motivation was pure or not.
1: In both the book and the movie, I think they did a real, well, Alan Rickman did a good job with the whole, you know, <laughs> uh, given what our, I know, <laughs> he's our new celebrity. He's just picking on Harry for no reason that Harry knows of, that anybody can really figure out. So they did a really good job in both on that,
4: <laughs> I thought. Which is which is ultimately his hatred of Harry's father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his jealousy of Harry's father.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, you can't put him in a all-good or all-bad. You know, he's definitely a gray character through the entire series, and I think they did a good job with this. Now, one thing I'll commend is, is the opening
3: scene. Because they were aiming for this younger perspective, they could have done something really exciting and changed it, and you have this somber, quiet opening. A slow entrance, and then... You know, it does go to the the logo. And I remember watching it recently when we were in the theater and just being like, wow, this is a really, you know, captivating scene, but a very quiet and downplayed scene as
1: well. Hmm.
4: Yeah, that's true.
3: Good point.
1: Right. Because in what? the book, they, you know, they slow, she brings you slowly in, you know, mm-hmm. here's a world that people know about. It's, you know, the muggle world and this guy's going to work, blah, blah, blah. And then the magic kind of creeps in. In yeah. the movie, they just, here's magic, which is you know, but like, they don't hey. make it boisterous or loud, or
3: and no. they keep certain details that needed to be kept, like the deluminator. Yeah, it was awesome.
4: <laughs> what did you think of uh, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia, and uh, and for that
3: matter, Dudley? <laughs> <laughs> they
1: were just awful. Oh man, they
3: needed to be, but they were they were. I felt I disliked them more in the movie than in the book because I could see what they were doing.
1: Ah, I still disliked them more in the book. But they definitely did, I mean, those actors did a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they pretty much captured the characters. Those were pretty yeah. good uh, casting, yeah, for but, sure.
4: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to fall on your side of that one, Holly, because I think in the book they were more a little bit more detestable.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, whereas in the movie, as detestable as they were, they came off as cartoonish. Right. And I, and I don't have a problem with that, because I think that plays into the fact that this is an, a, a movie that's like I said, while it's made for all audiences, it is, you know, meant to to be enjoyed by young people. And I wouldn't want to have necessarily a seven-year-old haunted by the depiction of the aunt and uncle. So making them a little bit more cartoony took a little of the edge off off of them without hurting the story particularly.
1: Right. Yeah, they were fine. I mean, I don't really have any complaints with them. Except that it almost made it seem like Dudley knew about Harry, too. And in the book, he didn't. But that's just a really small, nitpicky thing. <laughs> but
3: when Petunia talks about her sister, her special sister, she's a freak. That actress. Oh, she
1: she just brings it. That was the moment I'm like, I wanna, I kind of want to shake this woman.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, just terrible. You could see it, you know, finally. She just wanted to say it. She had, you know, and they said it in the book, too. Like, It looked like she had been holding that in for years and she just finally exploded. And (laughs) she did a great job with that.
4: I just quickly opened up her wiki page. It's uh, Fiona Shaw, Mm -hmm. who who sadly is only a few years older than me. Uh, (laughs) Apparently she had a major part. I, I never really got into the show, but she was in True Blood. Yes. In a significant role. Uh, it looks like she she's done a lot of Shakespearean work.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't like the True Blood character, but that's just me. Again, I've read the books. Who was she on True Blood? She was some random witch who was possessed by an old witch. Oh, and, I'm you know, done. Never mind. Rude. And she was a necromancer, <laughs> and it, it didn't work out right. Completely off
3: book. <laughs> I should have known as soon as you said it was a, a young witch possessed by an old
1: witch. I didn't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> The thing is, she's a necromancer, so she can control the dead, so she can control the vampires, and she was dangerous to them. Anyway, whatever.
4: <laughs> and she's apparently an Irish actress, not an English one.
1: Ah, which I, I didn't
4: know did that. It, according to Wikipedia, she was born in County Cork, Ireland. Now and I know. She's, she's also a director. <laughs> I don't know what she's directed. I don't know. But she's listed as an actress slash director. I wouldn't be surprised if the direction is in the Shakespearean
3: Ah, I can see that. There's a lot of Shakespearean actors in in these films. Oh yeah, Kenneth Branagh is in the second one.
1: <laughs> yes,
3: um, Maggie Dame Maggie Smith, oh, S- Alan Rickman. Oh man,
1: yeah, I can't even. <laughs> They're all so yeah. good. Most like a lot I of said, these
3: people have been. Robbie Coltrane has done Shakespeare.
1: The adult cast was just amazing. Yeah,
3: so, Robbie Coltrane I know more as uh, more of a comic actor than a uh, That's, serious yeah. one. He's done, I mean, here and there, summer stock type things. James Bond. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, he he was great in Bond. Was that Goldeneye? It was Goldeneye. uh, I think he was
4: in Goldeneye and then he came back. Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to say Tomorrow Never Dies, but I'm not certain.
1: Yeah, I don't. He was in a couple of them, but I don't remember which ones. The Pierce Brosnan ones. Yes. So I guess we've hit the point
4: where I got to ask Dave, Holly, is this Jaws? And let me give The Jaws scale, because even though I gave it to you before we started recording the episode, (laughs) anybody who's listening, I want them to be aware of what it is in case they are not already. Ranking it as Jaws, you're saying it's an all-time classic, it will endure, and it is just a great, great movie with very few, if any, flaws. Jaws 2, a solid movie worthy of multiple viewings, but not quite at that classic level. Jaws 3, watchable, but nothing particularly special. And Jaws 4, a bad movie. What do you say?
1: I want to say Jaws 1 and a half. <laughs> because I feel like it's between Jaws 1 and 2.
4: <laughs> okay, so you know what? I? Because this has kind of come up a little bit. Because you only have four rankings, and that, that, <laughs> that encompasses a lot. So what I would ask you... If you're able to make this distinction, would you say it's on the lower level of Jaws or the upper level of Jaws Two, if that makes sense?
1: It does. For me, I'm gonna say the very tip-top upper level of Jaws Two. Dave,
3: I'll go with that. That's what I was thinking because the franchise actually gets better from here and builds on this. So I, I don't want to give it Jaws because it doesn't it hasn't hit its pinnacle yet. Yeah, I would say it's a absolutely solid Jaws Two
4: worthy of rewatching I you know I do it I've watched it many times I enjoy it um the biggest question for me is is it at the absolute tip-top I'm not sure uh but it's very solid there's there's I have very few complaints about this movie I I really enjoy it it pulled me into the franchise along with the book as we described it earlier so uh I think I think I'm very comfortable with Jaws 2
3: Mm-hmm. I put it in the upper three-fourths of Jaws 2. Because
1: <laughs> I can watch it again and again.
3: Yeah, and, I, I, and watching it, you know, when we did the uh, Harry Potter event recently, it, it, I forgot how much I really do enjoy it. Because yeah. most of the time, if I'm playing the, a movie, uh, many times I'm not paying total attention to it. With this, I was able to fully immerse and really enjoy the heck out of it. And having discussed it with you, I'm going to recommend that the next time you, you two
4: find yourself on a lengthy car ride together, get the book on CD. And uh, and and listen to it. I bet you're going to enjoy it on a, at, a, at another level.
3: Worth a shot. If we drove anywhere, <laughs> uh, you you, gen- you generally don't go on long car rides ever. Not long ones, no. Uh, about three hours would probably be the longest one we normally do. All right, well, I, I
4: would say if you did a three-hour ride, that's long enough that either you've <laughs> you're immersed in it and you're going to want to listen to the rest of it, or you're going to say, "Yeah, no, the book on tape isn't for us."
1: Huh. fair enough.
4: But I, I I would say and. I haven't done the Stephen Fry one, so I can't speak for that, but I know I really enjoyed the Jim Dale one.
1: I'll have to ask my dad which ones he's listening to. Yeah, this this has become...
3: It's <laughs> <laughs> a family affair?
1: Yeah, it, it's just spreading more and more. <laughs> my parents went to Universal, and we told them, you have to go to Diagon Alley, because this is when it just opened. And they went, and they were like, okay. They came home and immediately were like, can we watch your movies, and <laughs> can you tell us about these books? Because this was... a They just... They discovered, you know, discovered it from the theme park, how immersive it was, and were interested. And since then, my father, who does travel all the time mm-hmm. in a car, uh, has been listening to the books. I think he's gotten um, up to book three, somewhere in there. I don't think he's gotten to *Goblet of Fire* yet.
4: That's fascinating to me. I, I, I have not. This is the first I'm hearing of somebody who got into the someone whose entry way into the franchise <laughs> was the theme park. Yeah. And I just think that's that's amazing, and I, and I think it's amazing in a very good way.
1: Yeah, and my parents are in their sixties. They, it's not like they're, you know, fresh, but they, they, they just. The older they I get, tell. the younger that seems. <laughs> they could tell how incredible it was.
4: So yeah, that's that's very cool.
1: Magical. Uh, oh,
4: really? And, and <laughs> we we've we've already had a brief discussion about it, but I don't know exactly how much time we're going to have in between movies. Uh, They will be staggered, and they may be staggered at different intervals. But over time, I'm going to cover Chamber of Secrets and go on from there, and we're going to do all of the Harry Potter movies. And I've pretty much already booked Dave and Holly to come back and do those with me, and they've graciously agreed that they are willing to do that. So as as we get through this, what I want to do is not only do I want to give the Jaws scale for each movie, but then I want to rank them against each other. Mm. So Mm. once when we do Chamber of Secrets, we're going to say, okay, Chamber of Secrets ranks as this, and the two movies, I put this one first and this one second. And then we're going to do that with each movie and just keep adding to that list as to where we put them. So I think that'll be
3: an interesting... uh... It's going to get really interesting for me.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and it'll be interesting for me too, too, because quite frankly, I have not... Sat down and figured out how I would rank them compared to each other. And I think I'm going to try not to. I'm going to just try and do them as we get to them. I'm not going to try and think in advance, okay, where's the next one going to slot mm-hmm. in? I think, you know, as we discuss it, I'm going to figure out where it falls compared to the one, you know, to what we've already discussed. It's and funny. I'd be interested in knowing what everybody else thinks of these movies. Uh, I prefer you keep your comments to the ones we're covering and not jump ahead on us so much uh, but the email address is jawspodcast at gmail.com and I'd be interested in hearing what everybody thinks about these and any other movies that you'd like us to cover. Thank you for uh, listening and Dave and Holly thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, thanks for you. having us. <laughs> uh, Dave, why don't you plug your podcast uh, Holly, you can't do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, when is this coming out? Uh, we're pro- I'm probably about
4: six episodes ahead of this. So probably in about three months.
3: Okay. Well, you can find me over at doing the Dave cave, a Batman podcast covering the silver age that that's the Dave cave podcast.com. And future people will be able to go to weeders and hear weeders web of Spider-Man. It's a 50 episode series where I cover the greatest Spider-Man stories ever told. And that is at weeders web.com.
4: Cool. Very cool. I didn't even know about that.
3: Uh, yeah. The, yeah. It's not coming till June. <laughs>
4: Okay, well, come June, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll i be on top of that. All right, thanks again for coming on, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And once again, thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you next time.
0: By the way, from Weasley. I'm Harry, Harry Potter. So, so it's true. I mean, do you really have the, the, the what? The scar. Oh. Yeah. Wicked. <sighs> Anything off the trolley dears? No, thanks. I'm all set. We'll take the lot. Whoa! Bertie bought every flavour beans. They mean every flavour. There's chocolate and peppermint, and there's also spinach, liver, and tripe. George sweared he got a bogey flavoured one month. These aren't real frogs, are they? It's just a spell. Besides, it's the card you want. Each pack's got a famous switch or wizard. I've got about 500 myself. Watch it! Oh, that's rotten luck. I've only got one good jump in them to begin with. I've got Dumbledore. I've got about six of him. Hey, he's gone. Well, you can't expect him to run around all day, can you? This is Scabbers, by the way. Pathetic, isn't he? Just a little bit. Fred gave me a spell. That's to turn him yellow. Want to see? Yeah. So...
2: Has anyone seen a toad? A boy named Neville's lost one. No. Oh, are you doing magic? Let's see, then.
0: <clears throat> Sunshine, daisies, buttermellow. Turn this stupid fat right yellow.
2: Are you sure that's a real spell? Well, it's not very good, is it? Of course, I've only tried a few simple ones myself, but they've all worked for me. For example Oculus repair That's better, isn't it? (gasps) Holy cricket! You're Harry Potter! I'm Hermione Granger. And you are? Um, Ron Measley. Pleasure. You two better change into your robes. I expect we'll be arriving soon. You've got dirt on your nose, by the way. Did you know? Just there.